The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. Love never ends. As Paul brings this section to a close, he does so with one main and glorious truth. Love never ends. You see that in this first phrase in verse 8. Now this isn't that love never ends in this life or that love simply will outlast this world. But love, real Christian love, the kind of love that is described here in chapter 13, this love never ends. It is eternal. It will last forever. It's not that this kind of love will outlast you or this kind of love will outlast this world, but this kind of love lasts forever. It is eternal. It never ends. This is because God is eternal. God has no beginning. God will have no end. That's what it means to be God in His very nature. He was not, is not a created being. He has no beginning. He will have no end. God is eternal. That is foundational understanding of who God is. And we have been working off of this most clear and simple description of, of who God is. It's found in the Bible that God is love. You put those truths together. God is eternal and God is love. What that means is that the kind of love that 1 Corinthians 13 um, describes for us, a love that is rooted in who God is, that flows out of the very nature of God, is therefore eternal because God is eternal, just as God never has and in so Love never ends. Now this truth, these three words in verse 8, stand in stark contrast to the way that the Corinthians were living. See, this church had their eyes on the wrong things. They were enamored with things that were temporary while ignoring the eternal. You know, this chapter in chapter 13 comes in the middle of a greater argument by the Apostle Paul. It's, it's easy for us to forget that. But this, this is, is sandwiched in, this, this greater argument that, that Paul has been laying out. And we're going to pick that back up next week in chapter 14 as Paul picks it back up. But it is an argument... Um, and teaching that deal with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Specifically with the church's understanding of this, these gifts. How the church at Corinth had misunderstood the gifts of the Spirit. And in misunderstanding the gifts of the Spirit, they were misapplying the gifts of the Spirit. Hopefully you re remember that. 
they, they have misunderstood the purpose of the gifts, the outworking of the gifts, how those are used in corporate worship. And they, they begin to, to misapply them. They, as a, as a congregation as a whole, have began to prize and to elevate the, the showy gifts. So if it was a gift that manifests itself in a way that is public, they, they celebrated those gifts. If it was a gift that maybe was a, a, a more of a serving gift that was behind the scenes and didn't you know, elevate them in, in front of everybody else, then um, they didn't. This was causing some major dysfunction in, in the church at, at Corinth. There was, was such a, a desire for these showy gifts, especially the gifts of tongues, that they began to falsify and fake these utterances. They, they were so enamored with these public expressions because they were ones that made themselves feel and look more spiritual than they were that they had begun to, to fake God moving in them, especially in the realm of, of speaking in tongues. So what you had, if, if I need to remind you, in Corinth was church members who would stand up and, and, and give an utterance in a tongue or give a, a prophetic utterance that they said God had given them. And in doing it, they would curse Jesus Christ. They would say that Christ Jesus is accursed and they would claim that that was from God. And the crazier it seemed, the more spiritual they thought themselves to be. That of... Out of all of their failures, and, and the church at Corinth, if there's one thing we have seen, there was a lot of failures. And anybody who would stand up and say that God has told them that Jesus is a curse, that's a, that's, I, I can't imagine a greater failure. But, a, but a, out of all of their failures, their greatest failure was in love. They began to prize these temporary things and ignore the eternal, and so Paul has been showing them what love is. And it isn't just a theological teaching, but it is a call to live a certain way, to show and act in love, to live, as Paul says, in a more excellent way, a better way. He says, I want to show you a more excellent way. The end of chapter 12 in this way is, is love. My prayer, church, is that as we close out this great chapter in chapter 13, that our church, that this church would be known most for our love. I hope we are a church that is known for our theology. I hope we're a church that's known for our doctrine. I hope we're a church that's known for our teaching. I hope we're a church that's known for our uh, commitment to missions, both locally and globally. Um, but more than anything, 
I hope that we are a church that is known for its love. This, this chapter 13, remember, this, this isn't just the, the wedding ceremony chapter. This isn't just the, the marriage chapter. This is a writing to the local church to say, this is how you are to live with one another. This is how you are to show love one to another. And Paul's final argument for the supremacy of love is that love never ends. Now it is an it is important that you grasp onto that truth, that you grasp onto those three words, love never ends, because it is the point of this text. Now Paul will use prophecy, knowledge, and tongues as a comparison of things that will end. To show us that love never ends, and because love never ends, then love is a better way. All right, That's the argument. Love never ends. That's the main point. Now Paul's going to make an example out of prophecy, knowledge, and tongues. These things will end. Love never ends. Therefore, love is greater than prophecy. Love is greater than knowledge. Love is greater than tongues. That's the point. That love is more supreme than these spiritual gifts. Even as important and as great as they are, love is better. That's the point. Love never ends. Now, I want you to get that because in making this comparison, Paul takes us to what is a hotly debated topic, and that is the gift of tongues specifically. Takes us to a hotly debated verse that tongues will cease. And we will look at this and we will walk through this and we will see what this says and what this means. But do me a favor, do not get lost in the weeds and miss the big point. The bigger point is love never ends. So if you leave from here thinking that this verse is only about tongues ceasing or prophecy ceasing or knowledge ceasing, then you miss the point. The point is, love doesn't. Love never ends. Love is a better way because love is eternal. You know, here's what I find interesting. That people who believe that tongues have ceased, and I'm going to tell you what those people are called, right. No, I'm just kidding. They're called... They're called cessationists. They're called cessationists, that tongues have ceased. People who believe that tongues have ceased, cessationists, will come to this verse and give a sound argument to someone who doesn't believe that. Those are continuists. Okay? So you can have a conversation with somebody about tongues and you can be a cessationist and you can come to this verse and you can say, I can show you where tongues will cease. It says it right here in chapter 13. As for tongues, they will cease. 
right? And you can take them and you can have that conversation and you can be the most prideful, arrogant, non-loving person in the world. Isn't that ironic? That you can go to this verse and this chapter that the whole point is love is the better way. Love never ends. And you can argue this without ever having love. Isn't it a way amazing the way that the evil one works? Love is a better way because love will never end. This word used here for ends in verse 8, it carries with it the basic meaning of falling. It's the same kind of word used to describe a a flower that wilts and dies and and falls to the ground or or leaves that, that fall to the to the ground. What Paul is, is telling us is that at no time will love ever fall. It will never fail. Love will never end. It cannot. It cannot end because it shares God's nature. God is love and God is eternal. Therefore, love is eternal. Now, I realize that this may not be your experience with love. Some of you may come from a divorce yourself. Or some of you may come from a divorced home. Or you may have experienced a a deep hurt from someone you thought loved you. Deep pain from someone who said that they loved you. And you may hear me preach and Paul write about love and say that love never ends. And you may be sitting there and you may be thinking, that's not, that's not, my experience with love. As a matter of fact, my experience with with love is the exact opposite of that. Because I watched my parents' love end. I I felt the love of a spouse end. I I was hurt by someone who said that they loved me. That love end ended. That love failed. That love failed to the ground. But I want to remind you about the kind of love that this is talking about. It's a kind of love that is rooted in God. That finds its expression in His character and His faithfulness. It's a love that is patient. Because God is patient. It's a love that is kind 
because God is kind. It's a love that is not arrogant because God was humble. It's a love that does not boast because God emptied himself. It's a love that does not insist on its own way because God was betrayed. It's a love that does not rejoice in wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. It's a love that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things because it knows what God has done for it. This kind of love never ends. This is not a selfish, self-centered love that leaves destruction and pain in its path. This is a glorious, God-centered love that lasts. And so if you're here today and your experience and your history and your wounds tell you that's not my understanding of love and I don't know that I can believe that. I, I want to tell you that this may not be the kind of love that you have known or you have experienced. But it can be. And you come to know it And you come to experience it in Jesus Christ. And that love never ends. The love of Christ never runs out. The love of Christ never fails. A love that is rooted in God's eternal faithfulness lasts forever. Our experiences in a sinful, self-centered world may tell us differently and it may tell you differently, but I'm here to tell you when you taste and when you see and when you experience and when you know the love of God, you come to know a love of God that never ends. Earthly self-centered love, it might run out because you wronged that person. God doesn't behave that way. God is patient and kind and loving, gracious. He forgives. He continues to love. He continues to pursue. His love never ends. And you can know that love in Jesus Christ. You can know it. A greater love than any earthly love. The kind of love that takes root in your heart and then flows out of you in this kind of love to other people. It never ends, Paul says. Then he gives these comparisons. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass Away. You see the contrast that Paul is painting here? It's one that says these things that are prized by you, they will end. Love will not. So, why cherish temporal things? Instead, live for eternal things. 
Prophecies are not eternal. They will end. Tongues are not eternal. They will end. Knowledge is not eternal. It will end. Love will not. That's the comparison that Paul's making here. Now, the theological question that most ask when they come to this verse is, well, when's it going to end? Right? When does prophecy end? When does knowledge end? When does tongues end? And I want to take just a minute to expound these verses for you, for you to see something that's vitally important in understanding them. You see, the words used and the context here help us understand when these things will end. If you notice, there are two different words used here to describe the ending of these three gifts. Right? Two of these gifts share the same word. Prophecies, you see it, we have it translated, will pass away. Right? Knowledge will pass away. These are the same Greek word used here. Tongues, however, is said not to pass away, but to cease. You see the difference? As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. There is a a difference in the, the words here. Katargeo, pass away. Pao, cease. Katargeo means to be done away with. It carries with it an understanding that an outside force will abolish it, will do away with it, right? We translate that pass away. So when you see prophecies will pass away, knowledge will pass away, the word used, the tense of the word, carries with it an understanding that an outside force will cause these things to end. Okay? But tongues is a different word. Pao. It means to, to stop or to come to an end. And it carries with it that an understanding that the ending comes from within. Or it ends on its own. It ceases. So there's a difference used here. Prophecies and knowledge, they will pass away. They will be you know, brought to an end by an outside force. Tongues, they will stop. On their own, they will cease. Now, you couple that with verse 9. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. That's prophecy and knowledge. Verse 10, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. You see, knowledge and prophecy are mentioned as passing away when the perfect comes. 
but tongues is not. Here's what that means, and here is why that is important. Knowledge and prophecy will come to an end, and that ending is when the perfect comes. As they are acted on by an outside force, God. When God brings the perfect, we'll talk about what that is in just a second. When God brings the perfect, knowledge and prophecy, they're stopped. They're done away with. They pass away. Tongues, however, will end on their own, seemingly before the perfect comes, right? Because they're not mentioned as ending when the perfect comes. So the understanding is that they end before the perfect comes. And I would argue, as a normal part of a worship time, as a normal part of our worship, tongues ended with the apostolic age of the church. Like a battery, tongues had a built-in lifespan. A limited energy supply that was used as a tool for the verification of the messengers of God and has now ceased. Listen, this is the last time it's mentioned in this chapter. In in verse 8, it's not mentioned as ending in when the perfect comes. This is the last mention of tongues in the entire book of, of the Bible. It's not mentioned again. Not chronologically, it's not. There is zero mention of tongues in any of uh, the, the early church writers. It's not there. there there's, there's no understanding, no mention of tongues, basically from Corinth all the way to early 1900s America. It's not there. The reason why this is important is because some will take this verse to say that tongues will end when the perfect comes, when eternity comes, and they have not ceased. But that is not what a careful reading of this text says. Now there are other scriptural reasons. There are other evidences for the cessation of tongues. But that's for another sermon. This one's just this text. That's all this this sermon is. It's not the main point. It's an important point. It's not the main point. It's just an example of love is eternal. Love never ends. Tongues, they will cease. Prophecy and knowledge, they will pass away. And Paul says in verse 9, For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. You see, knowledge and prophecy, they have continued. And they will continue until the perfect comes. These are are speaking gifts, all three of them. Knowledge, prophecy, and tongues. Knowledge is having a a supernatural ability to understand and, and communicate God's word. Prophecy simply means to speak before. We talked about this 
It's to speak before people, not necessarily, you know, foretelling the future. That's not the way prophecy is understood. That was a, a portion of an, an of a understanding of prophecy, but not prophecy as a whole. There was prophecy that happened in the in the early church and in the Old Testament as God's word was being delivered, as it came to people in direct revelation. But now his his word is completed and that uh, realm of, of prophecy no longer exists, but prophecy does continue to stand before people and to, to proclaim God's word. Guess what I'm doing right now? This is a prophecy. I'm prophesying, thus says the Lord. I'm not telling the future. I'm not claiming, oh, God told me this. No, I'm saying, thus says the Lord. This is what God says. I'm doing it before people. These gifts continue. But Paul says this is, this is just done in part, right? For we know in part and we prophesy in, in, in part. These gifts, as, as great as they are, as important as they are, they're just, they're just partial. They're not even fulfilled. We know in part. We we prophesy in part. Why don't you look down at verse 12? For now we, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. I want you to think about who just wrote that phrase. The Apostle Paul. I know in part. I mean, of all the people who could say, I got some knowledge. It's Paul, but even Paul says, look, what I know, it is just partial compared to when the perfect comes. Because then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. As much as we think we know now, it is nothing compared to what we will know. As much as Christ is proclaimed now, it is nothing compared to how He will be proclaimed. There is so much more that awaits us. There is a completion that is coming. Imagine that there is a day when you will have full knowledge. No preacher needed. No expositor needed. No commentary needed. Praise God, no seminary needed. You will have perfect, full, complete knowledge. Compared to the way that God knows you, so you will know. Isn't that amazing? God knows you. He knows every part of you. He knows every single thing about you. The stuff you can hide from everybody else, you can't hide from God. He knows not just your actions, but your thoughts. You are completely known. I'm going to tell you what, that is absolutely terrifying unless you have faith in Jesus Christ. Even as you have been fully known, so you will know one day. Knowledge will pass away because it will come to fulfillment. Prophecies will be passed away. We, we will no longer need a 
person to stand and proclaim Christ because Christ himself will radiate in all his glory. The angels will proclaim him. This is going to happen when the perfect comes, when we see face to face. Now, believe it or not, there is a lot of discussion over what this means when the perfect comes. Some say that it was at the completion of the canon. When God's word came, that means the perfect came. I don't, I, I don't see that. I can't find that in this verse. I don't know how they get there. Knowledge and prophecy are still needed today. Even though the, the word has been completed. Some say, well, this is at the maturity of the church. I don't think so. Some will say this is at the rapture. I think that might be a beginning. But what it seems is that this is the final eternal state when the perfect comes. When we see face to face. When we receive our glorified body and dwell with God in harmony and joy forever. This is when these gifts will be done away with because they won't be needed anymore. Paul uses an analogy here and it's an analogy of maturity. We skipped over that verse in verse 11. Paul says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Now, I believe that this carries with it two meanings. And I I, I believe this because of both the, the greater context of 1 Corinthians and the immediate context of these verses. The first is that when the perfect comes, we will be perfectly mature. What does it mean to be spiritually mature? See, there's a lot of different opinions as to what that means to be spiritually mature. Some will say, well, to be spiritually mature means that you're, you're really committed to the church. I would agree with that. Or some would say, to be spiritually mature, you, would, you, know, you, you, you get to a, a point where you, you have a, a quiet time and a prayer time every day. I, I, would, I would agree with that. The church of Corinth would say to be spiritually mature means to speak in tongues. But what it means to be spiritually mature is to be like Christ. That's what it means. You see, when we receive our glorified bodies, we're going to be like Christ. When the perfect comes, we will be fully mature. We'll be like Him. So I think that's the first understanding. That's the immediate context here of this this analogy. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, reasoned like a child, thought like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. That when the perfect comes, maturity comes with it. But the the greater context in 1 Corinthians, I believe, has a separate meaning. And I think it is a call for the Corinthians to grow up. What Paul is saying is for you to elevate tongues... And not to love is childish. It's childish. I want you to remember that this is a church that thinks it has reached the pinnacle. 
right? 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. Paul, Paul writing with some sarcasm says, Already you have all that you want. Already you've become rich. Without us, you've become kings. Oh, and would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. See, what, what Paul is saying is, in your own minds, you've become rich. In your own minds, you've become kings. In your own minds, you've reached this, this pinnacle of spiritual maturity because you um, are having these, these showy gifts. You think you've, you've got it all. You think you've reached it all. And what Paul is saying is, you're acting like a bunch of children. That's what you're you're doing. And it's time to grow up. It's time to put away the, the childish thinking and the childish acting and it's time to act like a man. You see, it is childish to desire the temporary over the eternal. It is childish to be enamored with things that will not last. Now for the church at Corinth, that was tongues. But for us, that's probably something different. How easy is it, is it for us to be enamored with things that are temporary? To desire things that will not last over things that are are eternal. Church, we need to grow up and desire eternal things. Colossians 3, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Paul says, set your mind, your heart's affections, your desires on eternal things, not temporary things. Grow up. It's childish to desire all these things and to not love. It's immature to elevate things that are not eternal and to not love. Why? Because love never ends. That's the point. And Paul closes with this great phrase. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three. These three great attributes. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest is love. You know why love is greater than faith and love is greater than hope? Because faith and hope are both found in love. How do I know that? Because faith believes all things. Or, I'm sorry, love believes all things. That's faith. Love hopes all things. That's hope. 
Love is the greatest because these things are found in love. Love is the greatest because love will never end. So how do we, as a church, how do we close out this chapter? We close it out by saying, God, would you help us love? God, would we be known for our love? God, would we prize, would we cherish, would we elevate love? Would we know, would we experience this kind of love, the love that is found in Christ alone? We can love because he first loved us. God, may we be filled to overflowing with the love of Jesus Christ so that it flows out of us to other people. God, would you help us do that? Not to be enamored by other things. Not to be distracted by other things. Not to be committed to other things more than we are committed to love. Because love never ends. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.